to Pet Chats with the APBC. We are the Association of Pet Behaviour Counsellors and we're here to teach you how to be the best pet owner or behaviourist in the world. I have the pleasure of being joined by Carrie Westgarth today. So uh, Carrie's going to talk to us all about dog bites, which is a really important topic. So Carrie, could you start by just giving us a summary of who you are and what you do? Thank you very much. Um, so yes, yeah, currently I'm a professor of human animal interaction at the University of Liverpool, but I've taken a bit of a strange journey to get to that point. I am a full member of the Association of Pet Behaviour Counsellors, uh, of course, which is why I'm here. Although I don't do that much um, behaviour work uh, anymore. Uh, I, keep, I keep my toe in. Um, you know, I cover dog training classes and things for people. Um but I came into uh, this career through um, working in animal rescue, uh, working as assistance dog trainer. Um, and then I uh, came back to the University of Liverpool where I had my undergraduate degree to, to do a PhD. And whilst I was doing that, I trained um, as a behaviourist as well and got my uh, full membership. Um, and since then, I've done a lot of um, research over the years around the human impact of owning animals because that's really important uh, there's reasons why we own pets and why we make the decisions that we do around how to own pets uh, but I also look at it from the other angle looking at the impacts of the way that we own animals and the decisions we make around how we own animals how that impacts their their welfare and behaviour in, in particular. So it's kind of two sides of the, the same coin and we try, I try and look at it from, from both directions. And one of the areas I've done a lot of work in is um, research into dog bite prevention. Yeah, and I think with that, it's probably, I feel like you're the person that everybody comes to whenever there's any anything going on. Um, you know, what can we do about dog bites? So I thought this would be really good to have you know, owners might be watching this who might own dogs or you might have other professionals. So I think the first question that I wanted to ask is, what would you say is the biggest cause of dog bites across the UK or worldwide, I suppose? So this is where it gets interesting. There isn't one cause. Okay. Um, so in order for an event or an injury to happen, a number of different things have to happen before you reach that point. Now, as people we tend to focus on what was immediately happening at the point of the dog bite um what had happened just before that and then that thing that's what caused it but actually there's lots that has led had to happen across the whole life of the dog and the person and the context and the environment in order to reach that point the other thing is when we look at the data we see that dog bites even if we just look at that data, the dog bites happen in a real wide range of, of contexts. Mm. Yes, we see a lot of what we might think is the classical context that we try to educate around, as in somebody was physically interacting with a dog that didn't want that happening at that moment. It may have been showing some signs that it was worried, uh, feeling a bit uh, stressed or threatened. Um, and for whatever reason, um, that either wasn't noticed or probably more likely was noticed but ignored, yeah. the research shows. Um, but you see a number of different contexts. Yeah, so you see things like the classic, you know, child tried to kiss dog on face. Yeah. Oh, right, how yeah, did that happen? Yeah. 
But that's actually only a small part of it. There's a lot of just playing with the dog. Um, my favourite quote is um, chasing bubbles and both went to get the same one. Okay. Um, oh. Somebody tripping over a dog. Um, dog on dog aggression happening and people getting in there. Mm-hmm. And actually a lot of the time, the people were nowhere even near the dog. They were just delivering letters, walking down the street mm-hmm. or go out for a jog or a run and a dog has has come and got them in, in that context. Um, so there isn't just one context and there isn't just one reason, which I'm sure we'll, we'll go into a bit more as we as we talk. Mm, definitely. I remember um, I was saying to you earlier that I remember seeing you at a conference and one thing that you said always stuck in my mind, which is that nobody thinks a dog bite is going to happen to them. Um, and I, I, I don't know if that's, is, is that part of it that people think, oh, you know, my dog would never bite me or my dog would never bite anybody um, alongside kind of that build up, like you said, of, of all the other things in their lifetime as well. Yeah. So um, my PhD student, Sarah, did some really in-depth research into this on the back of the research I'd started that I think you're referring to there. Um this element of trust we have. So one of the themes that I found was, yeah, it would never happen to me. My dog wouldn't bite anyone or dogs love me. We don't want to think that they can hurt us. Mm-hmm. We don't want to think that they would hurt anyone else. But at the end of the day, they are animals and they do react differently. And even if, you know, a classic example is never done anything like this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that there are aggressive dogs going around there repeatedly biting people. Sometimes that's the case and that's quite quite worrying obviously when you see that Mm. Uh, but generally the dogs that haven't really done this uh before but we've developed a level of of trust in them that because they've not done it before they would never do it but then they get older they get a bit arthritic or they get frightened by something or situations changes um and you know it can occur so it's about it's about always being aware of that risk. Even if your dog seems to love kids, that doesn't mean you can just let them mm-hmm. roll around unsupervised on the floor together. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's always a first time um, for everything. And really interestingly, even when dogs have bitten before, mm-hmm. people will say, I just didn't think he'd do it this time. Yeah. Even when dogs are showing, they're barking, they're jumping up, they're showing potentially aggressive behaviours. You know, classic quotes I have, you know, but still not for a moment did I think I was going to get bitten. Mm. Um, so because of the social relationships we have with them, it's really easy to sort of build that that trust, not necessarily even with that dog, but with dogs that look like dogs that we've known, you know. I've loaned loads of staffies and they all love me, for example, as, as yeah. quotes, and they've never had a problem with staffies before, which can lead you to trust the new staffie that's just come into kennels. Um, and it's just a natural human reaction that we just need to just check in our heads and be aware of, okay, how is this dog behaving in this moment? And mm. what do I know about that? Rather than always just thinking, oh, it'll be, it'll be fine. Mm. it's hard isn't it I suppose people they see them as part of the family and and like you said you have all of not just the dog's history but the person's history in their lifetime all accounts for how they maybe behave around dogs and it's not to say you know I know we said that um all dogs love me it's not to say that probably a lot of dogs do love those people but it's it's like you said maybe risk assessing more for other dogs that you're meeting um but yeah it's it's interesting to know that there's 
I mean, it would be easy, wouldn't it? If there was one cause of dog bites, it would they would yes. stop because we would just. That's say, why we no. haven't managed to prevent them. <laughs> that's, <laughs> because that's, there isn't one cause of dog bites. Yeah, yeah, which is why it gets so difficult. I suppose we'll come on to sort of later on in in these kind of debates about it. Um, so when when somebody so say somebody is bitten by a dog or your dog bites somebody, is there a protocol that they should be reporting any dog bites to anybody? Because I know that that can be a bit of a grey area with clients that I've worked with, and they've said I don't really know to be reported. What do, what do they do if the dog has bitten somebody? So um, the first thing is to think medically. Mm-hmm. What's often forgotten, actually, is we just as we can be dismissive of the risk of a dog biting us, we can be dismissive of the risk when a dog has bitten. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, some fatalities have been caused by infections. So uh, uh, someone had a fairly minor bite. They thought I didn't need medical treatment for it. And they end up getting sepsis and dies a few days later. And we, we see that in lots of fatality cases. So it is really important that really no matter how minor it is, uh, the wound gets very thoroughly cleaned. You can do that yourself um, to start off with, but get it checked out. And you're probably going to need a course of antibiotics just because dogs' mouths have dirty bacteria in them, mm. uh, any animal bites. Um, so first uh line of um attack would excuse the pun uh would be just make sure you're getting that medical um side of things the psychological side can be really quite um we know this from this is what made me so interested in it the psychological impact from working with people who had aggressive dogs um that was obviously quite quite key um and there's been very very little research um but sometimes even minor bites or even just thinking that you're going to get bitten can be really traumatic um so don't feel afraid of going to a gp for example or referring into a mental health service if psychologically uh that person has um is finding it quite hard to deal with that because it's it is in the literature but it's had very very little research but we're finding it again and again um and trying to do some more work into that mm. um in terms of who it should be reported to um it really should especially if there's any children involved um but it really always should be reported to uh the the police because they, a a bite is a dog dangerously out of control mm-hmm. now that sounds quite frightening and scary the idea to report it to the police um but these are human beings these these police uh, officers, they have dogs themselves. Um, they are not out there to go around taking dogs off, off people as a first line of defence. Um, but it is important that they can assess the risk in terms of, of safeguarding uh, other people and help discuss with you um, what might be the best way to, to manage and prevent that situation from occurring. Like I said before, it's generally not one thing that has happened that's made a dog bite there's often lots of things you can put in place to manage that dog and uh, and and cut that chain of events so okay. for example simply having a uh, external letter box on the side on the outside of your house or a letter um box guard on the inside next to your um next to your letter box that can stop it's very easy without any training whatsoever. You know, my dog keeps attacking the post and the postman. 
that's not really a behavior problem. That's an environmental management problem. Um, so there's physical things that you can do to help prevent that from happening again. And that boom just cuts that chain of events and that can never happen. And of course, this made this chain of events has started incredibly early on um, with the genetics of uh, the parents of the puppy. Uh, and then the early life experiences and socialization of that puppy at the breeder before you've even got the puppy yourself. Then what you do when you get the puppy socialization and training and so on and so on. And this dog might be 11 years old at this point. And you open the door to the Amazon worker and the dog's frightened by a firework and shoots out. Or a classic example that I've uh, seen, you know, this is how easily it happens. Um, somebody ran out of a door of a house with a newspaper that was on fire. Okay. And as they ran out, the postman was there and the dog then ran out. Everyone's just oh, like oh no. in a holy crap situation. And the dog then jumps up and bites oh, the postal worker. Oh. Um, but if that dog had been shut away in a different room of the house at that point when they knew, oh, it's 11 o'clock, the postal worker always comes at this time, he's probably going to have a parcel and going to have to open the door. That potentially could have been uh, prevented it's not necessary that anyone was doing anything wrong and this is why people they use the term accidents but pe people people working in injury prevention don't actually like the term accidents because it okay. makes it look like one of the other key themes that comes out of our research into dog bites is that there's nothing really we can do to prevent them okay. even what looks like it's not preventable is preventable yeah so for example when i was doing my first recruitment for people to interview um, people would say, oh, I, someone got bitten yesterday, came to the veterinary practice. And I was like, oh, great. Um, I wonder whether they'd be interested in being interviewed. Oh, yeah, but they were only bitten because their dog was attacked and they went in to get the, uh, to pull the dog off off their dog. Like, well, there's nothing you could do to prevent that. That That's a non-story. No, that's a that classic is. story. That's exactly yeah. how it happens. Um, and that's not to say that isn't preventable in some way if we think, quite yeah. broadly about it but yes um do report if you feel able to um because the other thing is if three different people had an issue around this same dog in slightly different contexts all didn't report it and then it then goes on and causes a serious incident and hospitalizes someone or even a fatality that again is a chain in the events. Those are missed opportunities, those near miss. Even if it wasn't a serious bite, it's a near miss incident yeah. um, that, that could have been intervened in and something put in place to stop that happening uh, again in future. Um, so you may think that your incident that you've had around your dog uh, or a dog that you know well, it's just a, a, a small thing and maybe insignificant. Um, but actually, when you add that all up to other information that is known, that can really help prevent uh, bigger events occurring in, in the future. Uh, mm. But I know that's a sensitive topic in terms of children, in terms of safeguarding. It is legal, actually, that these things do need to, to be reported. Mm. I like what you said about reporting to the police. It does sound like, oh, I'm reporting you to the police. But I think you're right. It's the police, they're not there to take dogs away. It's just flagging these things I suppose so that action can be taken I think that's a really nice way of putting it 
And, and it depends where you are as to whether they will even take any consideration, take action. Um, unfortunately, there is quite a disparity across the UK, at least in, in terms of um, the different forces and also the local authorities, because okay. dog wardens or what used to be a dog warden, but essentially what is that that role to uh, sometimes take some responsibility for dealing with these sorts of, of, of situations uh, as well. But I know when I my own dog was attacked by another dog. Uh, I did talk to police around about it and they went round and they just checked because the dog was living with a little girl uh, and everything. And, you know, it seemed a friendly dog. It dashed out of the house uh, and didn't like little dogs, but they needed to check in terms of, of cool. safeguarding that it was generally a friendly dog, that the owners were remorseful and they'd actually gone and contacted another APBC member at the time oh, that's so nice already. Um, so they just want to check that all the reasonable things are being done to try and address the situation and prevent the situation from happening again and provide help and, and advice. And is that the same, because you said about your own dog being attacked, is that the same if, if your dog got bitten on a walk? Because I know we're talking about human-directed mm. bites, but I know there's a lot of people that go, oh, the police won't do anything, they don't care if my dog gets bitten. But would you say still flag it because... I I would uh, yeah I would yeah because then it's on record mm. um and uh if there's repeat incidents coming from uh the same area same sounds like the same looking dog or whatever um then then that can hopefully be targeted and addressed they can piece together the, the information um I am lucky that um I was living in Merseyside at at the time of that incident, although I'm just across the border in Cheshire, and Merseyside have always taken dog on dog um, seriously as wow. well as dog on human because they can see the crossover in in risk. The the research evidence is quite interesting in that um, wh whether a, a risk of aggression to another dog is is giving a signs of a risk of aggression to to people, and it depends really on the research study as to the interpretation of whether that is the case or is that not There's some mm. some say that they're not associated and some say well yeah but they're still Percy my argument would be if you're if you're going to snap and not have very good bite inhibition with another dog then to me that seems logical that you could do the same with a person and and yeah. vice versa <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and sense. a lot of people get hurt intervening in dog on dog so um it, and that's not necessarily that the dog is intending to hurt the person mm. uh, as well they're just caught up in it so so i think they are um very much linked and should be considered um they should be considered together but again it depends on the capacity and the approach in the local area with different authorities um, as to how they uh, approach dog-related issues. Unfortunately, postcode lottery, just like everything else health-related in life. Yeah, yeah. And and with with that, I mean, that's that's really interesting, everything you're saying about dog-dog to dog-human. Um, what would you say? I mean, you kind of touched on it earlier. How would people minimise the risk of their dog biting another person or or another dog? What, what are kind of, are there any key things you think people could put into place for this? The key things we need to think about, um, you know, when you run puppy training sessions and things like that, you realise that it's not as simple as just the owner doing all the right things. 
And when you've run behaviour consultations, you've seen people who are dealing with a, a challenging dog. And when you go through the history, they have tried to do all the right things. And I really hate the phrase, there's no such thing as a bad dog, just a, a bad owner. But yeah, so do I, actually. Because yeah. of that. Um, I mean, that just lays so much guilt. Um, I also don't like victim blaming that the person must have done something wrong. You know, quite often the person doesn't even know that there's a dog there until they're yeah. bitten. Um, and this is what I mean about it's not it's not one thing. There's a whole chain of things that has, has happened. Um, so really important to me, the first thing we can do uh, is make sure we're getting a puppy from um, as much as we can. Obviously, you know, I have many rescue dogs uh, over the years, so we can't always do this. But it's trying to, as much as we can, search out really good breeding in terms of temperament. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not nervous, um, not over the top excited either. Um, I was like the fairly chilled pup. Um, but yeah, assessing that temperament of the puppy in the home, but assessing the temperament of of the parents. Um, and obviously that's very difficult to do if it's a, a puppy farm it's come from. Um, that's one of the reasons why, um, you know, as animal welfare people, we don't like puppy farms because it's not just the environment uh, conditions that aren't very nice for the puppies and, and the parents it's that you don't have an opportunity to assess the temperament of, of of those parents and we don't really know what's been being bred from in terms of those temperaments and you can't just love a dog and it will be fine and he'll never you know he'll never be aggressive because you've given him all the love in the world mm. but then once uh then you've got to make sure that breeder is doing all the best they can to well socialize those puppies before you even get them Obviously, then when you bring the, the dog home, there is training and socialization that you as an owner need to be making sure you're doing. When we say socialization, we don't mean just throwing them out in the yeah. world and scaring the bejesus yeah, out yeah. of them. But, you know, very calm way. Think about what do I want my dog to learn in this in this situation? You know, people will say to me, why do you take your dogs to, to dog training classes? Like you've been a professional trainer for years. And it's not about what I know. It's taking my dogs to classes so that they can learn in those environments to pay attention to me. I can teach them all this stuff at home, but that's not going to help me out and about. They need to have have learned all this stuff around these these other people and other dogs and traffic and strange environments and things like that. Mm, Absolutely. I think the more that you're saying, the more that it's it's so interesting. There's just... it's not just this one instance happened here we go this is the bite it's yeah. no wonder it's so difficult to to stop it when there's all these things in the chain that we need to look at so it yeah. it is difficult in some senses but that also makes it easier in some sense because it's just one link in the chain really that you need to crucially remove if if a dog that is fearful of people is never approached by a strange person and physically there's always a baby gate between them and a person yeah. then you're stopping that 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 risk so those physical barriers can can be be quite okay. useful um but i mean obviously we need to make sure like classic example children that our dogs are socialized around children um and as much as we can that they are happy around children that's mm. generally down to the personality of the dog i think some of them yeah. love kids just more than others no matter how much socialization and training you would do but then that doesn't mean that with job done uh, I can just leave my child and, and my dog to play whilst I whilst I go upstairs because 
people are are human. We will always do things wrong. I remember, um, you know, I do this for a living. I try very, very hard. There's baby gates everywhere in my house. There's dog crates, baby gates. And once I found my two-year-old sat in the dog crate with the dogs yeah. and all the dogs' toys that one time. But be- and I, yeah. I turned around and went, oh, my God, how did that happen? Yeah. Um, because all of those barriers failed. But because they'd had, they'd never had bad experiences together because he'd never tripped on them, climbed on them, never been allowed to do things when I wasn't looking, let alone when I was looking. Um, they were okay with it and they were just like, this is weird. Um, they'd had good experiences Aww. around him and they weren't worried about it. But, you know, that was my bat. Yeah. That wasn't, you know, that the credit is not, well, the credit is to them. I definitely messed up in that in that situation. But you'd put so much, yeah. what you're saying is, is, there's, there are so many ways you can target it. So yeah. I suppose it's not about saying, oh, it's hopeless because there's so many ways that it can fail. It's actually saying, well, no, let's turn it around. You can target it in so many different ways. You can socialise them. You can make sure they don't have bad experiences. You can do all this and you can have the physical barriers. So yeah. if one thing fails, yeah. you're actually falling back on all the other stuff, yeah. which I think is actually really a, a positive thing to hear um, rather than going, oh, there's nothing we can do. There's There's too much going on. So I think that's a really nice message kind of for people to take home. Um, in terms of, of people, sort of members of the public or ourselves, how can people stop themselves from being bitten? Or how can they reduce the risk of, you know, when they go into someone's home, getting bitten by the dog or walking in the street and having a dog come and bite them? Is there anything that people can think about to minimise the risk that way? So interestingly, people are often really worried about the dogs that they don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally people are bitten by the dogs they know really well. Okay. Okay. So it's your own dog or, um, granny's dog or you, you, you know, your sister's dog, your best friend's dog, those sorts of situations. Um, I can understand why people may be very fearful when they're out and about, uh, walking that dogs could run up to them or whatever, but generally you are very, very low risk. Okay. In the grand That's scheme of right. things. Um, and the ones, the dogs we trust, the ones who know well, are the ones that um, are, are, are generally cause the most bites uh, to us. It's those sorts of contexts. Um, a classic example is when uh, people are running or cycling mm, next to yeah. a dog. Um, I think um, a lot of the onus has to come down to the owner. If you see cool. someone running or cycling or someone on a horse, you have got to have good control over your dogs and, and put them uh, and, and be able to recall them and, and get them on the lead. Um, we can't just blame the victims for that when they're just going and having a nice a nice run. Um, but at the same time, if there's dogs running round, s- slow down because the faster you run, the more likely they're going to mm. and want to run alongside you. Uh, and perhaps if they are a sort of herding breed, they might want to, to grab at, at something, not necessarily in an aggressive way, but I think I think we focus very much on that sort of aggression, dogs being fearful, as in our prevention, but actually a lot of them are happening during play and predatory yeah. type sequences. Um, and that is an area we haven't really well addressed yet, but I think that's what's happening in a lot of the contexts. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, plain tug. Um, my son, we've we've got a um a working cocker spaniel. She's mm-hmm. 
she'll be two in January. So we've just gone through, we got her at five months. So we didn't have her from very puppy puppy, but there was a lot of mouthing going on with a a nine-year-old boy who wanted to play with his puppy and she wanted to play with him. And we had to manage that very carefully because she could accidentally grab his hand Mm. um, and do some serious damage uh, by accident if we weren't Mm. careful. So thinking about how well you can supervise and manage and what are the boundaries around uh, around playing uh, as as yeah. well, uh, I think, with, you know, with with other dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't want dogs to approach you. Um, we've had a few inquiries of this through the Mosai Dog Safety Partnership, okay. um, and I sort of garnered some some evidence from the APBC um, group, actually, on what will be the best approaches. Uh, and the person who asked for some advice has tried out a lot of these approaches um, yeah. and says, actually, just it, totally snubbing yeah. the dog, totally ignoring it, not looking at it, no eye contact, not trying to shoo it away, just like acting like the dog isn't there. Dogs very, very quickly leave him alone um, mm. if he's That's behaving like that. Um, so if you don't want dogs coming up to you, I totally understand that. Often we don't want dogs coming up to us because we've got a dog ourselves that we don't want the dog approaching. Um, and obviously then there's methods, um, are, are things you you can do, making the dog more visible mm. um, as a potential hazard. Um, so things like the yellow dog um, coats or bandanas yeah. or leads. Yes, some people don't notice, but generally the m- more we can make our dog visible as a potential hazard i say hazard not because i think it's a nasty thing Mm. but hazard is in something to be aware of um the more chances people have got to actually spot that there's a potential issue and to call their dog away and not let their dog uh come bounding over to yours Mm. if you've i know they shouldn't anyway but communicating in some way um through sort sort of brightly coloured things can can often have an effect because you can see it out the corner of your eye quicker than if it wasn't there and have a better chance of getting your dog in another direction and avoiding that dog for example Mm. I suppose it's taking again taking those steps that you try and avoid the situation as much as you can by taking your own steps so you're not going to be having dogs run over yeah. to you. Sim- similar to, I suppose it's that same argument when we've got a reactive dog or a nervous dog and they don't want dogs coming over. It's, it's the same kind of thing, I suppose, with yourself yeah. as well. And it's it's taking lessons from other injury preventions. So um, yeah. if you're running, if you're a runner and likes to run along roads or you're a cyclist, absolutely, people have a responsibility not to run you over. But that's a lot easier if they can clearly see that you're there by wearing something bright, if we can do that with our dogs as well, this makes you go, Oh, something about that dog that means that there's a bit, something a bit different. You can notice it quicker and you can hopefully be prompted to do something more about it. But so it's, again, it's not going to solve everything, but it's, it's adding up all those little tools in the toolbox to try and prevent us from getting to that catastrophic situation that we don't want to be. in when all everything comes together in a perfect storm, Mm, absolutely and I think I suppose touching on that I mean obviously we've been talking about dog bites and I think we I don't want to leave it without addressing what's very prevalent at the moment which is the XL bullies and the ban and everything that's going on there and I know it's a very emotive topic from sort of both ends of the spectrum you've got a lot of 
um, fear, you've got a lot of anxiety, you've got a lot of emotions that go along with this. So, you know, we're always very careful when we talk about these things, but you're probably the best person possible to to talk about it. And, and so I wonder if there's anything personally that you would want to you want people to know that's based on your experience and all the research that you've done that you think maybe people aren't considering in this situation? Yeah, so um, it's a very polarised debate. So people mm. either being for or against breed-specific legislation and banning of certain breeds and whether certain breeds are more aggressive or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's actually really quite a complex area. Um, so the research data shows that large powerful dogs in particular bull breed dogs but other large powerful breeds of dogs um are more likely and you can just look at the breed fatality lists as much as we can be convinced that those breeds are correct if we it's clear that there are certain types of dogs that are more likely to be involved in more serious um Mm. incidents now, that's because when they do bite, they cause a serious injury due to their, their size and strength and perhaps their genetics as, as to what happens when they do get into uh, to that sort of biting situation. But the flip side of that is what is the evidence that they are more likely to be aggressive in the first place? Okay. And that's where it's much more contentious. Uh, and generally, the research data that is available to it it's harder to research because if you if you take a case series of of dogs that have bitten or people that have been bitten by dogs and look at the the, the breeds and look at the severity of the injury you can see which ones are statistically more likely to cause more severe injury but in order to look at the risk of being aggressive of turning towards aggression in the first place you need dogs that have bitten to be able to compare to dogs that have not bitten. And that's where we're really lacking in the data. So there's much fewer studies that have been able to do a good job of this. Mm. When studies have tried to compare uh, risk, breed is really hard to study in the first place. You need a large study because there's lots of different breeds. Um, Generally, we across that data, there's no consistent, conclusive, robust evidence that one breed is more likely to be aggressive than other breeds. Okay. Um, even if studies do show breed differences, the studies don't agree with each other as to which are the higher risk breeds. So, um, so that doesn't really work. And also, we know that whilst you might find an average higher risk across a breed, there is a lot of considerable variation within the dogs in in that breed. So these breeds are sort of overlapping. There's a I'm not saying that breeds aren't genetically different in their behavior. Absolutely, they are. I have a working Cocker Spaniel. She's very different from my my pug crosses. Oh, yeah. Um, But when it comes to to human aggression, there isn't lots of there isn't big differences in terms of the the breeds, in terms of how aggressive they are, are to people. And there's a wide variation within the breed. So then that leads us to the question of, so should breed specific legislation work if you want to reduce the intensity of the injuries which is a a very good way of tackling tackling injury prevention we often think about how do we reduce the injury happening mm-hmm. but actually every day car seat belts don't stop us crashing cars but they prevent us of course, from okay. 
from hopefully dying and being thrown mm-hmm. through the windscreen as, as a projectile if we do crash. So mm-hmm. it is an important approach. So theoretically, the idea of banning some breeds um, that can cause a lot of damage if they do bite, theoretically, it does have legs. Mm-hmm. The problem is it tends to not work in, in practice, Okay, um, which is why generally a lot of people don't support it but Mm -hmm. they tend to not the people are arguing on either side tend not to understand the whole uh broad area of evidence around this even if theoretically i can agree theoretically breed specific legislation seems a good thing but in practice it's very difficult to do and very difficult to enforce Mm -hmm. and because breeds are so similar Unless we kind of bundle dogs over 10 kilos. Yeah. I just and had a very clear black and white thing. And I mean that and that's just not going to happen. That would be your Labradors and your German Shepherds gone as well. And mm. people don't want that. And then there's a whole lot of class and social demographics it's- all wrapped up in this as well, in terms of are certain breeds more likely to be poorly bred, poorly socialized, trained using uh, punishment-based training methods it's going to make them more likely to react aggressively later there's just so much going uh going on in that that it becomes very difficult for breed specific legislation to be put into practice effectively i think is is the challenge mm, yeah that's amazingly well put i mean it's it's a very balanced way of looking at it um but like you said it's it's one of those things where there's all this debate going on but it's, it's very hard to have the debates without having kind of a, an overview of, of the situation. So it's, it's, it's really tricky, but I mean, for anybody who is watching the APBC are obviously advising our members in terms of insurance. It's a, it's a changeable situation anyway. So we're keeping everyone up to date, but I think that was a really amazingly balanced way of, of putting it. Um, so thank you so much for sharing. And is there anything else, any last points that you wanted to, to finish on before we um, start to wrap it up? Um, I would just just come back to the to that point of it would never happen to be me. My dog wouldn't hurt anyone. Mm-hmm. If you could keep that in your mind at all times around any dogs you're interacting with or any dogs that you own, um, and just think, is there just something I can do to? I think it's like ninety nine percent likely that everything's going to be fine. But is there just something I could do in this situation just to be on the safe side? Can I put a baby gate up here? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna shut the dog behind that door before I open the, the door to, to the postman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm just gonna um feed the dogs separately. Yeah. One of them can have the bowl here and there's a baby gate, and they're gonna have the bowl there. They've never fought over food before, but this could be the first time. And I don't want to get bitten trying to separate that. Mm. Um just yeah, just I think putting, giving that in your your mind makes you just think about, is there anything else I can do to just add in another layer of minimising the risk? And sometimes it doesn't have to be complicated training. No. Um, and you can only work with the dog you've got. You can't go back and change its genetics. Um, but is there just anything perhaps just physically in the environment or just the way we, we manage and the habits and routines we have around this dog? Uh, that I could do to just help ward off a potential situation down the line. Mm. 
That's incredible advice. Thank you. I think that will really stick in people's minds as well. And hopefully any advice like this, any any input like this will help everyone try and avoid these situations. So um, yeah, I think all that's left to say, is there any way anyone can find you if anybody wants to collaborate with you or speak to you? Um, I, I think you said you don't do behaviour work, do you? You do more research. Yes, I, I generally do research um, and media work and teaching. I teach the veterinary students. Um, I'm on uh, Twitter and I'm also on Brilliant. Facebook, um, but under the, um, so it's the Westgarth Anthrozoology Group, the WAG Lab, Mm-hmm. Um, is where you can find more about lots of our different research. So generally, if we published a paper, if I'm doing some media work, if we're recruiting for a research participants for a study, that will all go out uh, through that. We also have, um, obviously, the Merseyside Dog Safety Partnership. It's called the Merseyside Dog Safety Partnership, but it's really, we work quite nationally now or even internationally um, in our members and the type of influences um, we have and the kind of types of interventions we're working on. Um, and we have a, a website at merseydogsafe.co.uk. And that's kind of a hub where we oh. summarise some of our research and so that people can easily access that. But also um, we pull together all the resources that we can find for professionals, but also for um, for the public, for people who help with their own dog. There's uh, advice sheets help I've been bitten by a dog, for example. Wow. Um, some of the stuff we've created ourselves, but a lot of it is it's, it's a hub for all of the really good information that's already uh, out there. And with the Excel mm-hmm. Bully, uh, we do have a page that we are updating as we get more information from the government and from our local police that we work very closely with, um, with guidance uh, on there. So it's worth keeping an update on that, those pages. Incredible, like, incredible resources for people. So I'll put that also. Everyone can access it. It'll be easy for people to find to to go and find um, if they want to find out more. So um, I think all that's left to say is thank you so much, Carrie, for coming on. It's been an amazing conversation, and um, we really appreciate it. And for anybody that's watching or listening, um, thank you for watching and listening. And we will see you next time. Bye, everyone. <laughs>